It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. All right, as this blockbuster edition of The Call continues, we go into our second hour as we catch up on yesterday because we had a a few technical gremlins on our, our platform, um, which we did uh, muck around. My apologies to uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Uh, Scott, welcome. Uh, thank you for coming back and catching up on yesterday. How's the beautiful Southern Highlands? Mate, it's lovely today. The rain's abated for a little bit. It's supposed to rain all week, so that's a that's a good sign. On good the sign. other hand, mate, I managed to spill a can of Coke into my computer bag today. So, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> we're one, one, one up, one down today, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of those days. And Mark it Morland really from Team Invest, good to have you back, mate. Oh, Thank I'm you for happy this. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, mm. great. All right, let's get stuck into it. Ten stocks that you've suggested in one hour as we go through them all and give you a bit of guidance. And um, Mark, let's kick off with uh, with Sydney Airport. Brad wants a view on, on Sydney Airport. Yeah, well, um, it's gone through a challenging time. Obviously, um, Sydney Airport is one of the uh, most affected from coronavirus yes. collapse, obviously, because business is shut down. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, in their business model, uh, they largely charge the uh, airlines per passenger. Now, if you think oh. about it, uh, yeah, rather than a fixed price or uh, oh, a I large didn't know rent, that. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. it was per plane. No, 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 no. And then what that does is in the good times, it's actually smart. I would, I'd normally yeah. say it's a really good idea because yeah. what you're getting is all the growth without arguing about charging them more money. Yep. So it was an extra, and growth, by the way, in passenger numbers was quite high yes. before Corona. You know, I think it was 8 or 9% a year or something. Very high. Yeah. Um, and they automatically got it. So they had, a, they had a lift in their earnings all the time, which right. is terrific. And then, of course, coronavirus spoiled the party and it hasn't been good for... Uh, any of the other airlines either, but at yeah. least their cost base isn't as bad as it would have been. So all those passengers are not flying, they're not paying anything. Right. Um, yeah, so be, and even the flights coming in, yeah. because of the restrictions on numbers of people coming into Australia, it's sort of you can get a 787 with 50 people oh. and that's all they're allowed on it. No, it's a shocker. Yeah. I mean, in the long term, I mean, this is a, a quality uh, dominant business. It's got a, right. a, a um, monopoly moat, effectively. Mm. You know, that's, yeah. that's it for Sydney at this stage. So uh, it's, no, it's never a business we've been interested in, and that's primarily because of the debt. They've got very, very high debt levels like a REIT. Now, they're right. classed under transportation, but they're real, they right. sort of operate like a property uh, investment. Right. Right. And the areas, what they charge the airlines, they've got a big retail business and parking and uh, advertising. Tell me about the parking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, when they, t- when they um, uh, took it over, originally, they bumped up all the um, uh, parking costs. They, yeah. they generate a lot more revenue out of the model, if you like. Yeah. And um, I would argue gouged a lot of revenue. Yeah. And also their property plays, aren't they? As they That's stick, right, very much so. Start sticking IKEAs yeah. on the boundary and That's things right. like that. So yeah. if you look at it now, you say, well, is it investable? You really got to say, will they come back to where they were before? And yeah. I would say, without a doubt. Right. Now, the question is, how long? Now, yeah. for me, the lockdown from corona and the effect on travel and our borders has been much gone much longer than I ever imagined it could have. Mm. <laughs> you know, so therefore you say... You know, what about next year? You know, is, is it going to be open by March? I don't know. Yeah. The longer it goes, you know, the more damage it's doing because they're basically losing money and yeah. they've done a big capital raise and I'm sure Scott knows about that 
um, in more detail. So they've diluted the shares as well. But they were running at about 8% EPS growth uh, right. prior to Corona. And I would expect them to get back to that. Right. So if you look at it now, um, I'd say that um, I don't see it as being that cheap, considering mm. the, uh, where the price is now compared to pre-corona and considering the number of new shares that have been issued. So there's right. dilution as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to affect EPS growth yeah. uh, going forward. But yes, it will come back without a doubt. Uh, what's the right price? I don't know. We've never looked at it in detail because it's always had way too much debt for us. Yeah. And the return on equity has always been a yeah. bit low, below 10 as well. Okay. So it hasn't, it's never got through the team invest filters. Okay. All right. And Scott Morrison basically saying in the last week or so, um, travel overseas may not be till the end of next year. <gasps> Don't right. say that. My wife's going to kill me. Right. She hasn't seen the grandchildren for about eight months yeah, yeah. In, in the well, US. My youngest daughter in London sent me oh. through the quote and she's horrified. Um, <laughs> Um, what do you what do you reckon, Scott, on Sydney yeah. Airport? Gosh, I think Mark's done a really good job of summarising the situation. Just to add some colour to the capital raising, they effectively diluted shareholders by about twenty percent. It was one new share for every five point one five. To be really right. clear, uh, so call it twenty percent among friends, and that really means that a ten dollars share price pre-corona is now an eight dollars share price, like for like, right? So the simple reality is that current shareholders were hurt by that much. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter for new shareholders or for current shareholders from here except for the fact that, as Mark said, to get back to 10 bucks requires a whole lot more than it used to. In other words, per share, you've got to do about 20% better as a business to have the same per share return. That's the first hurdle. Second one, I think, to your point and Mark's point about travel, I am absolutely, well, I won't say sure, I was going to say sure. I'm pretty sure it'll be end of next year before we get <gasps> unrestricted travel. Because if you think about, well, the effort we've made nationally and, and at state level to reduce the number of COVID cases and the number of cases, I mean, think how, how few people are coming to Australia and yet how many cases are coming in the hotel quarantine? In other words, imagine if we A, bump that up by tenfold or 50-fold and then let them into the community, um, you know, or, uh, without being political or po even looking at the policy per se, to do that would simply mean so many more cases back in the community. It would pretty much undo the last six months worth of work. And I don't think any national government, particularly of an island nation like Australia, is going to do that anytime soon. If that's right, then I think we're at least the end of next year, short of a, a vaccine that is wonderfully you know, uh, quickly rolled out and wonderfully <clears throat> effective. That's the reality. Now, takes it in the airport and that capital raise, and that helps. Now, remember, of course, three months before that, I think it was the chair or the CEO said, no, no, we don't need to raise capital. Three months later, they did because it got worse than anyone expected. And that's not necessarily their fault, but it's the reality. Now, if it is end of next year, is there a chance they raise more capital? I think, yeah, there's oh, a yeah. pretty good chance because right. a lot of the profit right. comes from international travel and some domestic. If they need to raise more capital, this gets much worse before it gets better. It's not going to go broke anytime soon. It's a quality business probably the single best asset, as Mark's already mentioned. If you can gouge someone, you've got a pretty good asset. Um, and so that's that's the that's the reality. Sydney Airport, great, great asset. But the structure, I mean, Mark, it's a, it's a REIT. I don't go even further. I think this is, this is pretty much a pile of debt with an airport attached, right? It's, right. it's, it's, it's hardly even, you know, it's, there's so much debt in this business um, that you really are at, at the banker's whim. And okay. I think that's the real risk for shareholders. All right. And at least as the land is, Frigga, if you go like for like, um, Scott, is is Auckland Airport any better because it owns the land, so it's an airport and a property play together? Does that insulate you a bit? It does a little bit, Koshi. And this is one of the you know, one of the truisms about banking, which has a has a parallel with with REITs, is in the good times everyone looks at earnings, and the bad times everyone looks at assets. And I think that's true, right? So if you think about Auckland, the assets it simply has, I think it's got something like the landmass of Sydney Harbour, or so yeah. it's some some phenomenally large amount of land that makes it a much better 
asset or, or much more uh, optionalized asset, if you like. There are many more choices that its owners can, can pursue. Now, Sydney Airport, I think, by virtue of it being A, Sydney, B, Australia, the simplest size and scale of that is probably, as an airport, as a pure operating airport, probably Sydney Airport is better. As a, as a business, and if you want some security and safety, I think Auckland is probably the better buy right now, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I think lastly, too, the, the interesting thing, and Scott just hit on it again with the debt issue, they've got 1,800% uh, debt to equity, which is massive. Now, why, they, why could they get so much debt? Because the assumption of lenders is this is totally secure income. Yeah. You know, you, you can have, here it is, like a straight line map of people coming in. There's yeah. no risk to the business. And hello, what have we yeah. got? It's stopped. Yep. So, yeah. so going when Scott said they'll probably need to raise capital, I, I would say that if they're if, if they're largely shut down, Lee, in the next year, they'll be doing significant raises and you wouldn't want to be a shareholder. Okay, excellent. All right, uh, Paul uh, wants a view, Mark, on Perpetual, the big funds management group. Um, well, they call, uh, call themselves value investors, don't they? And uh, um, recently did an acquisition <coughs> as well uh, of an American firm, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Perpetual's okay. There's a lot of fund managers uh, in Australia. I think yeah. there's more fund managers uh, than there are shares listed. Seriously? No. Yeah, I think there's over 5,000 funds. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's, uh, we're, over, we're overfunded, managed, right. yeah. if you like. Yeah, yeah. So the way we look at it in Team Invest is if you want to invest in a fund manager, and they can be very good businesses, they're a bit of a leverage play typically on the market because yeah. um, if the market uh, does really well, they'll often, if, depending on the fund, They'll get performance fees and so on, so they'll outperform yeah. the market. And on the other hand, if it goes down, theoretically, they have a, a loss of funds coming out of the fund, and then their, then their um, funds under management fees go down. Yep. So they're quite, they're very much aligned to the market. Right. Um, Magellan is our um, our favoured investment, one. and yeah. a lot of our members are investors. I'm a happy happy shareholder. Yep. Uh, they really have done brilliantly well, but they've also been lucky in that. Uh, the, they're heavily invested in the tech sector in the US and so on, which has done really, really well yeah. through Corona. So they haven't gone down at all in Corona from an earnings point right. of view. In yeah. fact, they've grown funds. Right. The trouble with Perpetual is they've been losing funds. So they've, yeah. got, they've, got an out, they've had a bit of an outflow. Now, it's not massive, but it's enough to affect the earnings. So the business is okay. It's just that the problem is the return's not going to be very good in our view over right. the next five years. So we're, we're, we're showing it returning about 3% per year if on their current uh, performance. It passes all our filters, right. so there's nothing wrong with it. It's yeah, just, yeah. if you have to choose which fund manager do you want to invest in, yeah. I wouldn't be choosing Perpetual. Right, but you'd choose Magellan instead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, the other thing, with um, just quickly on that too, interestingly, the, the founder-run companies, which are Magellan and Platinum, uh, P P Platinum yep. and also Fiducian, right. uh, all have returns on equity in the 60% range, and then all the, hired gun uh, fund managers, which is Perpetual and all the others, are all down about uh, 14 or 15 oh, or 10 or whatever. It's just interesting yeah. that the founder-led companies uh, have a much, much higher return on the capital, than, which goes mm -hmm. to our view that uh, founders are fantastic and it's just, yep. it just supports that whole argument. Yep, absolutely. Scott? Yeah, I can't argue with much of what Mark said, quite honestly, Koshi. The, the one, I guess, the couple of things I would mention uh, are that while the, that's broadly right in terms of you want to go with the successful ones, there is some degree of cyclicality as well about funds management. And I, look, I'm not, I'm not saying buy perpetual, by the way, so I agree with Mark's conclusion. Uh, but for, for, for way of kind of information, I think, you know, the reality is most fund managers struggle to remain at the top of the tree for extended periods of time. Now, some do, absolutely. Some businesses do. Generally speaking, though, you get a cyclical reality of performance. We know plenty of people chase last year's winners. There's the old, there's some research out of the US, actually, that the market does well. Funds do less well after fees. 
And the average fund investor does even less well again because they tend to chop and change too much. Yeah. And so to some degree, that be, that's because they chase last year's winners. You better find a long-term moderate outperformer and stick with them rather than try and chase last year's winner. So there is some cyclicality between the fund managers. I wouldn't necessarily be buying petrol right now individually, but I do think the rising market will be good for all fund managers. So as a sector, I'd be pretty bullish. Um, and to Mark's point, they are leveraged, right? Now, I don't know what the actual multiple is, but let's say it's one and a half to one. Your costs stay the same. But as your funds go up, your revenue goes up. So that's a pretty nice business model in good times. And I think there will be better better times ahead for the market and therefore for the funds under management, which is good for all fund managers. Yeah. Um, Perpetual hasn't covered itself in glory. While I do think there are some cyclicalities to fund managers, you also do want to see some basis for believing that <clears throat> excuse me, funds are going to start coming back and performance <clears throat> is going to continue to pick up. And I don't yeah. think we have that evidence just yet. So are you a Magellan you're miss. fan? Like I like Magellan. Is that the preferred Pretty expensive one? for me because of that oh. cyclicality. I'd probably be inclined price? to right. give it a miss. Um, right. But we'll see how it goes from there. Okay. All right. Um, Magellan, unfortunately, was uh, always unfortunately was about 60% below where it is now in April. Right. I was too slow to pick right. it up. But yeah, that was the time to buy it. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. Um, Scott <coughs> Rowan from Wall. Uh, Rowan wants a view on Wally, the global engineering company, and. Uh, uh, basically, services business, isn't it, in the the energy, chemical, and resource sector? Yeah, largely mining services. Cost you a bit of engineering thrown in there. It, this is a really tough industry to do well, and I have to say, I've generally speaking avoided the sector. There are some occasional winners and some medium-term winners. Uh, if you pick one of those, you've done well. The hell, the really hard difficulty with with these guys or with any of anyone in this space is a bit like infrastructure players in Australia. I think Lendlease and others, you're kind of competing largely just on cost. Yes, there's some reputational benefit. Yes, in the good times, everyone makes money because there's a limited supply of available services and plenty of demand. And so if you can kind of ride a cycle here, you might do well. For Wally in particular, it's a really tough one to pay up for Wally. It's it's trading only at 14 times earnings. That's not a terrible price to pay, arguably an attractive price historically. Um, I think the real question is, is this going to be an outperforming business in an outperforming sector? That's what I find hard to believe. I think when you're competing only on cost, very, very tough to make above average returns, above market returns, and your returns are likely to kind of come back to the back to the crowd a little bit. So possible, yes, um, there'll be good and bad times. That chart itself shows you it's very cyclical mm. and you do get some good and bad results. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see it do okay in the next little while because as the economy recovers, both investors' faith recovers and maybe some new projects that were stalled get started. So maybe there's a short-term, you know, a bit of a, you know, a, a kind of stretch elastic band or something <clears> through there, uh, loaded spring maybe I should have said. But overall, I, I don't think this is a long-term outperformer, out no. Okay. Uh, I agree with all that. And also, I'll add that um, the complexity of the business, this is a multinational business, and you just look at what they do. Yeah. yeah it's like, there's no way you could really, if I, if I said, I need to understand the businesses I'm okay. investing in, there's no way. It's a really interesting comment, mm. because for, even for professionals like you, um, you say, some stocks are just too complicated too to hard. understand, too hard to figure yeah. out. You yeah. prefer really targeted businesses that, yeah. that do it well. That's right. That's right. right. And I, you know, comparing it to fund management, like looking at Magellan compared to this, it's, yeah. it's like it's totally chalk and cheese. Magellan's yeah. a simple, straightforward business. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're good at it. I can understand. I can do the numbers on it. Uh, Wally, I wouldn't have a clue. Right. And the other thing is they've got obviously thousands of contracts at all different stages in different countries. You would have no idea yeah. what's really going on. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the pluses are that it's in the bottom quartile of its PE range. So even though the PE is not really low, it is in the bottom quartile of its range. 
which is, is a good thing if you wanted yeah. to buy Wally. Right. Um, and uh, you'd know, have to go up to 23 times earnings before it would get in the top quarter. Right. <clears throat> and the biggest negative for us is the last three years, or well, the last six years, your average growth's been minus 3% a year. Oh, so okay. the EPS have been, in the last three years particularly, have been down each year, which is not a good trend. That's not a good trend. Now, they may no. turn that around. <laughs> but I have no idea how. Because you, you have a benchmark of 10%, don't you? Well, we let's do. Get but if, even in corona, point. let's be, if we don't want to be as harsh as that, I'm more, yeah. in, I'm more concerned of um, uh, that, uh, that the earnings are going up right. <laughs> rather yeah, yeah. than down. Or you would need to understand the business so well that you could say, I, I think that's going to change next year because of blah. Right. But I don't. Right. Yep. So I wouldn't bother. Okay. All right. Um, which is a really good lesson to all investors. Sort of some businesses just too hard to track and understand where the money's going to come from and whether they can do everything as well. As yeah. well, they might be good at half a dozen things and the other dozen they do poorly and the whole thing gets dragged down. Yeah. Um, this next one, Mark, uh, Globe International. Caitlin wants a view on that. This, um, if you have. Uh, any kids or if you're an adult in the surfing or skateboard business, um, you'd know them as a brand. Um, they specialise in apparel footwear for the, the skateboard market and also they do wheels and decks and all that sort of stuff for, for board sports. Um, across 100 countries worldwide, they're in street fashion as well. Um, they got a couple of um, business divisions, Globe, Salty Crew, Hardcore distribution, forefront, and FXD. Um, all right, let's talk about the business first, because yep. I get lots of people saying to me, "Hey, I want to invest some money for my kids. What should I invest in?" And I say, "Well, I don't give advice, but my only advice was, if you're going to get your kids interested in shares, put them in shares they can relate to, yep. and companies they can relate to, like mm -hmm. you know, super cheap with Rebel Sport or mm. whoever." Um, I didn't know Globe was listed on the Australian market. Right, well, I, I, I'll start off by saying I've never looked at it. And, yep. the, and the reason I haven't is it's fairly small market cap. It's on about 84 million, oh, right. which is not a problem in itself. Right. It's just that we tend to have 100 million uh, cut off minimum because right. it's liquidity issues. Yep. And, and we've got lots of members and they've got lots of money. Yep. And what's the point in doing lots of work on something you can't, you can't buy? Right. Um, anyway, so uh, I've, I've read about it and it actually looks quite good. Uh, the, the business um, is uh, it's got an EPS growth rate of about 15% and quite good stability. Mm. Return on equity is good. Uh, doesn't have um, much debt, 20%, which is not is okay. So on all the fundamentals, it looks fine. It's at the top of its PE range at the moment. Right. So the PE at the moment is 13.6, uh, which doesn't sound like a high PE, but that's actually no. high for them. So ah. to get in the bottom quarter is 8.5. Right. So normally, and if you look at the the uh, the um, price chart. Yeah. It's yeah, they've run up quite strongly, even though arguably it's not expensive. Right. Do you class them as a retailer? Uh, yeah, I would. Do you I would model brand, them against well, it's other a brand, it's a brand manager brand retail and distribution? Right. Yeah, okay. I think so. Right. I mean, they're a little bit like AX1. Right. You know, in, in a lot of ways, uh, small. I don't know about the ownership structure. Right. And you know, whether there's a founder there, there probably is. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Scott might know. Um, and we're showing it returning 14.5% a year at the current price, mm. which would make it a buy on that's on our default. Right. Uh, level margin, uh, yeah. so default numbers on a margin save, you drops down to two point three percent. So fairly right. big, fairly big difference. Yeah. And that the reason is the way our system works is, it, it, the more stable things are in all our key metrics, the less it discounts it. Right. So what what we think is that if they continue doing what they've been doing moving forward over the next five years, if you buy it today, 
at uh, at uh, $2. Right. Uh, you should get about 14% a year uh, compound total return. Oh, that's, that's pretty good then. Yeah, it's pretty right. good. So I'd have to say this is pretty good. Okay. A bit small oh. for us. Okay. Um, Scott? Can't quite be as positive as Mark Koshigian, and maybe that's because I'm not a, a skater at heart. Uh, I, I'm not, <laughs> not a brand that I've, uh, I've used any time recently, just quietly. Look, uh, here's the thing with Globe. It looks cheap, so that, that's absolutely in its favour. I completely agree with Mark there. The, the challenge, <clears> I think, uh, if you look at the financials, is that the compound rates over, over medium term look pretty good. The individual results are really lumpy, though. And for a small company, as Mark's mentioned, that really weighs very heavily on, on fashion and fad. Um, think about how many times skating's kind of come and gone in our lifetimes. Uh, back with yo-yos and yo-yos and marbles. So, you know, it, it, it probably, it, look, it may well do okay. I think the right. real challenge here is it's really, really small. It's a business without obvious heft or balance sheet, re real balance sheet strength. I agree with Mark. It's not particularly highly leveraged, but the sheer dollar value of this, how long can it can it withstand a downturn in, in demand for its product? I think that's the tough question. Um, now, again, I don't claim to be expert on the category or the particular brand. Uh, may, maybe I'm missing something entirely. Maybe the next new skaters are, are using Globe products and this is the next big breakout brand. Uh, but, right. but look, it, it, it's, inex it's inexpensive. I, I absolutely take that point. Sales have been roughly, you know, they're roughly where they were five, six years ago. Earnings are where they were, you know, a little bit mm -hmm. above where they were three years ago, but lower than they were in the last two years before that. Um, so it is one of those kind of ebb and flow businesses. And I think if you're going to buy, you just want to make sure you're buying at a reasonable multiple of a reasonably average level of earnings because of that volatility. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't rush out to sell it if I owned it, probably. Uh, it's, it's too cheap probably to, to rush out and sell unless you've got a better place for your money. Um, as you say, though, Kosh, I actually agree with you, particularly on kids. Buy what you know for sure to get them into investing, help mm. understand what it means to be a business owner and how businesses work. So yeah. for sure, there's actually value in underperforming for that benefit, quite honestly. Uh, but as a standalone investment, I couldn't rush to buy it. Right. Yeah. Um, interestingly, it's the... Um uh, the chart isn't coming up on our system, so I've gone to a few other systems, Reuters and all, and it doesn't show the chart there either. And um, just wondering why not that. Um, uh, it's something we should get the, um, the chief executive on, um, on Auspice to find out more about the business. Um, if, okay, Scott, if someone came to you, sort of one of your friends and said, I've got teenage kids or uh, young adult kids, um, what's and I want to start a portfolio for them. What should I, I put them into? Often I say put them into ETFs and uh, yeah. and maybe the eSport and um, and gaming one a uh, a really good one at the moment. But do you what do you recommend in in that space to get you know, new investors and young investors interested? Yeah, you're exactly right, Matt. So I asked one question: Is are you trying to help them become investors, or are you trying to help them make money for them? <laughs> If you make money that's for very, then that's, that's a, a very question, good point. Right? That's the question. If you can do well, no, both, that'd be really good. <laughs> right, and that's the thing, right? So if, yeah, you want to like you desperately want to help them yep. become investors because that's a lifelong benefit. So yep. in that, so the reason I, I differentiate that is because maximizing the return is probably not what I'd say if it's help them become an investor. No, because with small amounts of money to start their investing lives, as you've already highlighted, I want them investing in stuff they know, like, can follow, are interested yep. in, hopefully use. Because that starts that lifetime learning, right? But you're not necessarily going to get the best return. The best results might be in some, you know, crazy, you know, random biotech, or it might be in some yeah. boring investment bank yeah. that, frankly, they're never going to care about, know about, no. want to talk about. Gives them a so good return. that's the first question. Second yeah. question, once I get there, is exactly to your point. I'm going to say, what are they interested in? So a Nasdaq ETF. I own some shares for the record. Not that my my view is going to matter on the Nasdaq ETF, but the, the Nasdaq ETF covers a lot of those big companies: Amazon's, Netflix's, mm. Facebook's, Google's, Apple's. Yeah. That's a great way to get that tech exposure that every kid these days is into. So I'd start there, and then I really would look at some of the 
frankly, you know, they're not, they're not going to shoot the lights out investment wise. But as you say, think about products and services they use. That can be Accent that Mark mentioned before. It can be Globe. It might be Coca-Cola, Amatil, at least until it goes to Europe. Uh, yeah. Woolies, Telstra, Coles, um, West Farmers. If they, yeah. you know, they duck down to Bunnings for a sausage with you when you go to the hardware shop. Yeah. The, the things they're literally going to use. I vividly remember a family member of mine who, uh, way back in the in the day, I just buy some David Jones shares. And when yeah. he walked into the shop, he's like, I felt like I owned the place. Yeah. I looked around with yeah, a different yeah. perspective. And I, I got, and this like was I, a, this I, was I often awesome. suggest Premier yeah. Investments and they go, huh? yes, and you yes. go, well, Smiggle. Oh, we know, <laughs> no Smiggle and Peter Alexander. And all of a sudden they Justine. get enthusiastic. Exactly, mate. Yep, yep, spot on. Exactly. So I, I absolutely would start with that. And then as they start to learn, then you start to help them learn about other businesses and go from there. But you really want them to start thinking about what is this business? How does it make its money? Do I, am yeah. I interested in it? You know, every time I make a phone call on Telstra or you know, yeah. go to the checkout at Woolies, yeah. or as you say, buy something and, and yet another piece of stationery from Smiggle. Uh, you know, you get that experience. Like I just made some money there. I made half a cent, or you know, I've even tried my, yeah. my young bloke seven. And I've said yeah. when we walked out of Woolies, hey, we just made we made like, you know, half a cent then. That was pretty good, wasn't it? So what do you mean, <laughs> Dad? Uh, you know, so it's, it's just it's all that stuff that just hmm. starts to build that knowledge and interest. That's going to pay dividends, if you excuse the expression, excuse the pun, uh, for many, many years to come. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mark, do you agree? Oh, no, I agree. But I, I agree with what your approach is that yeah. things that really mean something to them. Yeah. McDonald's. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so exactly. If, they, the, if they're a McDonald's fan. But I think you're right. I think the idea is very good to yeah. start with. Be careful, though, with uh, if they lose money. Because one of my early experiences, yes. I had a portfolio for my daughter. And I can't remember what it was. Some company did really badly. And, and we were discussing it. And my wife said, what do you mean? You put her into something that lost money. You're obviously <laughs> going to make that up. You know, so I had, I had to, I had to make good on, on the one that had done badly. Oh, I love it. I love so, it. So be careful. See, and I really want to meet your uh, seven-year-old son, Scott. If he's thinking like that now, well, boy. my two-year-old granddaughter has Berkshire Hathaway shares. Oh, in the US. I've got. A, we've started a portfolio for her. Right. And I try to get my wife to buy shares for her when she wants to shower her with gifts all the time. Uh, yeah, you know, give her, give her something that she can. Um, good idea. Uh, grow. But, good idea. All right, let's uh, look at our next stock. Uh, Mark, Ben wants a view on Austal, the, uh, the Perth-based shipbuilding business uh, yes, here yes. in Australia that's mainly in the defence industry, yep. isn't it? Give, yep. Does troop carriers, and but also fast ferries, not only for defence, but also uh, civil companies. As yes, well. it's, a, it's an interesting business. Um, it has passed our filters occasionally. It's quite lumpy. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a contractor. Uh, and we talked about contractors a lot, so yeah. um, the that makes it a lumpy business. And they particularly had a bad year in um, um, 2016, which I, I believe was something to do with building was a packers boat or something. Yeah, they, they, oh, whatever right. it was, they built some big oh. boat and lost a lot of money on it. So right. it was a yeah. They, I don't know what happened. Yeah. But you assume, but it took, gave them a big hit. Other than that, over the last since 2017, 18, 19, their earnings have been growing uh, quite uh, quite nicely, um, and sales have as well. So. They actually look pretty good in that respect. Uh, Price-wise, they're on a, they're on a uh, in the bottom quartile of the uh, PE range, which is 11, mm. which is cheap. Um, I think the, yeah, the 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 risk issue with the business is the probably the US relationship with um, the uh, literal defence right. boats yep. they're building and stuff. And I don't know where that's all at, but you know what the Americans think. I heard some scuttlebutt that the Americans weren't happy, but I, I don't know whether that, it's true yeah. or not. Well, they, um, they've actually bought a shipbuilding yard in America, yep. haven't they? So they could get those contracts easier be seen almost <clears throat> as an American company. Well, it passes our filters. It's on the highest earnings it's had at the moment. The target, the, the um, PE is in the green. And uh, we're showing a return of 9.4% a year on a margin of safety and 47 on 
uh, on uh, default. Now, what default oh. means, if they just continue doing what they're uh, doing, in fact, I'm going to restate that because I, I, I normalized a couple of numbers and it's not as good as that. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so it is actually, sorry, I'm sorry. back to it. So uh, 22%. Right. So 22% a year, if they continue with their current EPS growth and the business stays the course, because okay. you're buying it quite low on, yeah. on PE for its earnings. Right. So I'd have to say it looks quite good. Okay. Um, biggest risk contract. Okay. Uh, Scott, what do you think of Austell? Yeah, Mark probably knows it better than I do, Koshi, but I, I think the risks are the thing that have kept me away from that business for quite a while. We've discussed it a few times internally as a potential recommendation, and that contract question really is the one. The, the kind of the, the journey has been pretty pretty volatile for, for an Austell. Um, you know, it makes some money, loses some money, wins a contract, loses a contract, and it's incredibly capital intensive. So mm. it's kind of one of those businesses, if you're close enough to have a good view of its order book, you might be more confident maybe than I am to, to go and buy it. Or conversely, maybe as long as the balance sheet's healthy <clears> enough, you might want to buy it actually when it loses a couple of those contracts, the market loses faith. Um, you can see back, you know, it, it's been super lumpy, a really good 2019 off, you know, what was a tough really three years pretty much from 2016 to 2019. So, uh, you know, it's probably, it's one I'm not going to put my stamp on just yet. I, I have to say it's one of those things I either want a cheaper price or a better view of the order book. And that might be just... Uh, my, my, you know, uh, lack of knowledge. So Mark may well be able to put my mind at rest on that one. Right. But generally speaking, I want to get it cheap or I want to get it when I have a really good sense that the future is good. Otherwise, these things are a little bit like, I mean, almost, you know, if I can steal Mark's analogy about Sydney Airport, great, 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 great until they're terrible. And, and you only need to have one terrible to really wipe away years of gains, right? So if it loses a big contract or has a big cost flow out of something else, the share price could reasonably halve in, in short order. Now, it doesn't mean it can't come back. So, you know, we don't need to be short term about it. But I'd probably rather buy it as a contrarian, you know, after right. some of that bad news potentially, or, or maybe when things are a bit cheaper, or frankly, when it's on a new contract that was long term in the market hadn't fully appreciated. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll just, just one thing I'll add to that. I don't own it, and I don't yeah. think anyone in Team Invest does. Right. Okay. So, so what I'm saying is it passes our filters, but uh, it was only first stage. Right. And then the contract risk is what turns people off. Exactly the same as Scott. Okay. Yeah. All so right. I, I, it's too lumpy for me, and I, I agree with everything else Scott said. Okay. All right, uh, let's recap the first five stocks um, before we get into the back half of the call today. Sydney Airport, a no from both Mark and Scott. Uh, Perpetual, a no from both. They prefer Magellan, but probably not even Magellan at the current Magellan price, which is uh, pretty high. A no for Wally. Uh, a no for, uh, for Globe International. Uh, Austal um, passes all the Team Invest filters, but the contract risk would be... Uh, quite a warning sign for them and a no from, uh, uh, from Scott based on that as well. Now, here on the call, we've got our own portfolio. It's been going since July 1. Uh, any stock that gets uh, unanimous approval from our expert panel goes into it. Let's see how we're going over short term. Down 4% uh, in the last week, up 5% for the month and up almost 14% since July the 1st. Look at some of the Stocks that have been added recently, Tyro, uh, Blue Scope Steel, LaVisa, Infratil and Ordinate. Some of the stocks taken out of recent times. If they come up, um, if they're in the portfolio, come up on the panel again and don't get unanimous uh, approval. They get taken out and Spark, Infrastructure and Encore have come out as a result of that. If you want to see what's in the portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll keep checking on it regularly. Uh, programming note for uh, our many cannabis investing enthusiasts. Uh, fresh from a quarterly update, Oliver Horn 
Alex Noel Group uh, Chief Executive uh, is joining the, uh, the Pulse at 3.10 this afternoon with the latest movements in the medicinal markets, both global and local. That's Oliver Horn from Elixinol Global at just after 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let's get into uh, the second five stocks. And uh, <coughs> Scott Samira wants a view on Beach Energy, an oil and gas exploration company based out of Adelaide, both onshore and offshore production facilities. Yeah, Koshi, I, I'm going to try to be positive at some point during the back end of this five, I promise you. Uh, oil's not the place I'd like to go and play when I'm looking for an investment. And that's because you can't possibly hope to guesstimate, guess, uh, speculate on where the oil price might go next. This is one purely for the speculators, or maybe if you feel you have a really, really good hand on the macro and you have a reason to believe it. I've said before, you know, unless you think X, and people say, well, I think that, so, well, no, you have to have a reason to actually, you know, a fundamental reason to believe it, that the oil price is impossible to predict. I dare anyone to try and get it right. Plenty of people try, of course, that's what oil traders do all day, every day. Unless you're watching this and you're one of those people with a long-term track record of picking the oil price correctly, very, very, very hard to make money out of energy, uh, provided any energy drillers in this case. And so you, you see the graph there. I mean, very few people 12 months ago would have picked this. Now, of course, no one picked the pandemic either. Um, but until you see the oil price start to recover, it, it's, it literally is, it's a crapshoot. I, I don't really know how it's possible to make money religiously ongoing with oil yeah. companies unless you can are very very good at picking the price uh, and again unless you've got a basis for believing you can get it right now these small guys you see from that chart can actually do reasonably well if they can get volume growth that's the other side and if you're going to play in the resources space i always say please find the best operator you can find the guys that have the best control i mean guys is a, in a, in a uh, non-gendered sense uh, the guys and girls that have the best ability to control their expenses control their operations have a good track record for example of successful commercialization that puts the odds better in your favor. So if you want to play yeah. in the space, that's what you want to look for. Generally speaking, I mean, the tone to buy oil drillers is when the oil price is really, really low on historical standards. That might, by the way, suggest that now might be a decent time to have a look around. Uh, but if I'm going to buy oil, gold, iron, anything, I want to buy it only when the commodity itself is super cheap because it puts the reward, risk reward yeah. well and truly in your favor. And, and I was going to say, Scott, if you, if you um, wanted leveraged to an oil rebound, would this be the stock you'd be in? Um, is yeah, the other thing, right. isn't it? Yeah, and, and this is this is a double-edged sword, right? So if you want to leverage to rebound, what you actually want is the lowest quality business you can find, which is a stupid <laughs> idea to invest, right? But but you know the maximum leverage comes from the ones that are closest to death's door. We see that right. every time there's a there's a you know like look exactly. at the pandemic, look at the companies that you know afterpay went from forty to five and back to one hundred. The, the ones right. that are, are potentially the riskiest on the downside are going to be cheapest when you get to buy them, and so are going to do best on the way back up. Uh, so it, it is a bit of a double-edged sword. Leverage right. works both ways in that in that sense. It maximizes the downside, maximizes the upside. So yeah, I guess, if, yeah, honestly, yes, probably a, Beach is one of those companies I would look mm. at. Oil yeah. Search, possibly another, um, if you if you wanted to get maximum upside. But again, let me put a big red flashing light on this yeah. one. I'm saying, yeah, if you want to play, if you want maximum upside, if you want to speculate, these might be the ones to go with. I wouldn't yeah. do it though. Yeah, okay, uh, understood, Mark. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, we, we, it's, we don't invest in energy either. Right. So for the same reasons. In, uh, any energy. No, no right. generally. I mean, it doesn't right. mean we can't, but it's, uh, yeah. the, as Scott pointed out rightly, uh, you can't control the uh, price. Now, some of them, mm. sometimes there's issues where companies uh, have contracts, you know, for supply, certain prices and so on, you know, regardless of what's happening in the market. So the yep. spot price doesn't necessarily hurt them. Um, Beach is actually very, very cheap at the moment on a PE basis. So, so going to that co the comment of saying if you want to buy uh, an oil gas stock yeah you know, a good time to do it is when there's blood in the streets which it really is at the moment 
Um, I think Rozhnev in Russia and stuff's on a P of about three. Oh, now I'm not oh, going to buy that either because right. that's also got political risk. But but Beach is actually on a uh, currently on a P of um, uh, uh, 6.2, and mm. it's profitable. Yep. So it, it actually meets all of our uh, filters apart from stability. And the reason is the stability is up and down is largely because they're a commodity uh, business. But yep. they also had two really bad years. I think it was 2015 and 16 where they made losses. Since yeah. then, it's been fine. And their return on equity is good. It, all, it passes all our, uh, all our uh, conscious investor screens. And what the effect of being the P being that low when they have an EPS growth rate at the moment, um, uh, which is quite healthy, is that the return's good. So on a margin of safety, we're showing 10.8, which is anything over 10 is really good because yep. the way it works mm. is we back, we test it every year and we've got 20 years history now. Right. And the margin of safety numbers for us, 87% of the time, the returns are greater over the next five years. So okay. it's, a, it's a proven super right. conservative number. It doesn't mean yep. you're guaranteed with this particular one, if you bought it, you'd get 87% or 87% likely over average right. is what it is. You know, so yeah. very high probability that you yeah. do better than that. Yeah. So going to Scott's point, we wouldn't invest in it either because one of the things team investors are looking for is uh, very predictable earnings over the next five years. Right. And by definition, you know, a company like this can't do it. But it's very cheap, it's well positioned, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's likely to do quite well because we're at the bottom of the market. Okay, on all right. All right. Do you get that certainty out of Resimac Group? Uh, Chelsea wants a view on that. They're the residential mortgage lender, um, not only under their own brand, but uh, I think they, they provide mortgages for other fintechs and things like that around, around the group across Australia and New Zealand. You're asking me? Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> does, it, does it give you more certainty? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's, more than beach. They actually... I mean, it's a, they, they do their own uh, mortgages. So they're not a broker themselves. They use brokers yeah. and so on. So yeah, they're competing yeah. with the banks. They say that they're looking for high quality um, yeah. um, uh, uh, clients yeah. rather than doing any marginal type stuff. Uh, I don't quite understand it. I mean, it's got return on equity in, uh, is, return on capital is really low because they've got, they're carrying a lot of debt. They do right. securitize some of it, I think. It's not a business I've ever, uh, I've ever looked at. Uh, the debt's five thousand percent, but you could argue that uh, it shouldn't be classed as debt. Right. It's like a, a yeah. bank; the debt's the asset. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's not really a liability in their case. So yeah. that makes it hard. Uh, it's on a on a PE of six point eight, which is really low. So numbers actually look quite good, but I know zero about about it. Yeah. And uh, it's market cap's five, it's half a billion, so it's it's and not look, it's not looks, small. Looks pretty illiquid too. Uh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah maybe Scott. Maybe Scott knows more about it than I do. Yeah. Scott, what do you think of uh, Resimac? Yeah, pretty liquid. Um, I, the, the hard part about any of these companies, I think that's, again, I think I said this last time we chatted, but, you know, individually picking companies one-on-one as a, as a one-off purchase are harder than picking things in a portfolio. Yeah. I, would, I would speculate that Resimac does better than the banks from here. Um, if I was going to pick a portfolio of stocks, the, the, an eight and a half PE, give or take, is a pretty cheap place to start as long as things don't go badly. And, and this is... The challenge with any of these leverage lenders about leverage and the answer to the last question in this case this is this is pure leverage it's purely financial leverage mm-hmm. if resimac manages to continue to lend well and if it's able to extract itself from the pandemic without too many bad debts then this is going to be the world's cheapest price yeah. you, you know you could easily see the share price go up by 50 60 70 percent even on no more volume just as the pe normalizes mm-hmm. and, and i think that's very very likely but it's not impossible right so when you're sitting in the situation now where we're sitting saying do you buy it you know well if you're worried about losing money, don't buy Resimac, no. 
um, because the, you know this is this is a business that definitely has. I will say, I will say literally existential risk, but I don't mean to be that overt about it. But yeah, in the worst circumstance, Resimax ceases to exist. Um, like Rams and Wizard before, in different circumstances, of course, it's forced to sell itself to somebody just to salvage some value. Now, I don't think it gets that bad for Resimac, but we should remember those are the range of outcomes. Woolies can go well or badly, but only ever so badly and only ever so well. Resimac has a much, much broader, you know, almost infinitely larger range of outcomes potentially. I, I think on probability, I think it probably does well from here. I think it probably beats the market given the PE. And I'm also reasonably optimistic that we get out of this pandemic without as much damage as previous recessions. Now, we've had the deepest recession, but the yeah. economic damage for a whole host of reasons isn't as bad as other ones. So I, I'm optimistic that Resimac makes money and beats the market from here. As long as our viewers remember there is real decent downside risk, okay. you, know, you know, not in a worst case, but in a bad case scenario. Okay. Um, a speculative buy, we'll put that down as. Um, Scott, uh, June wants a view on Hub24. This is one of these... Um, financial services platforms, isn't it, that superannuation fund managers and investment managers use to manage their portfolios. And it's one of the hottest parts. I, I mean, uh, by now, Paylate has come and taken the crown, but this was this yeah. was red hot fintech central 18 months ago, two years ago. Uh, Hub, NetWealth, a couple of others, OneView, were really the the centerpiece of of uh, you know of fintech, and for good reason. Look, the financial service industry has its issues and some really big issues, quite frankly. One of them is that everyone gets to clip the ticket on the way through. Now, that can be good or bad. The good news for Hub24 and its shareholders is if you provide a platform that actually helps people like accountants, fund managers, financial planners do their business in a way that's cheaper and easier for them. And by the way, if you can charge per either customer or dollar under management or whatever it is you want to charge, it depends on the, the company in terms of the charging basis. There's a lot of money to be made because the pool of resources is phenomenal. And we've seen that comeback from March, largely on that basis. We talk about leverage for fund managers. Hub24 actually has a similar type of leverage because more people use it to manage more money for more clients. That's a really good long-term tailwind. Now, the P is 95, I think, from memory last I looked. Okay. Um, that's not cheap for those wondering. Um, you know, it's, it, is a, it is a phenomenally high PE. A lot is expected of Hub. I have to say it's not a current recommendation of mine, but I, I think you know, a lot of the other guys on the team like it. And I think it's one of those businesses that does tend to do very, very well. It will take business away from the traditional incumbents. The, the banks are losing meaningful amounts of volume to this new breed. And Hub24 yep. probably, probably arguably the best or second best in this space. So mm. I think if, you, if you've got a long-term time horizon, five plus years, I think this is an outperformer. Um, it may well be volatile because that massively high PE in the meantime. But I think as it matures, there's a lot more ground for yep. Hub to make up. Uh, and it looks as though they're growing by acquisition as well earlier. Um, in fact, today, they, they launched a whole series of bids against three similar sort of businesses, including Explore Wealth. Um, and they're, they're also doing a $60 million capital raising. That's uh, just a, uh, two or three hours ago, they, they announced that. So uh, certainly on uh, the acquisition trail with a, uh, with a $60 million capital raise as well. Uh, Mark? Well, I, I, I think that's um, one thing you can say that's in their uh, benefit, that they're doing a capital raise when the PE, I'm showing it 120 times. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a massive, massive PE. So, I mean, if you can... If you can um, <laughs> so they're raising money where the when the share price is high. Yeah, that's when you should do it. Well, yes. When do most people raise money? When they're in trouble and it's when down low. You know, which yep. is the, yeah, it's the dumb time to do it. Yeah. So, you know, I'll give them that. I'll give them credit for that. Um, the rest of it, though, if you look at this business, I've got 10 years history here, so I'm not sure when it... In fact, when was it founded? I can see it on here. Uh, 2007. Uh, first few year, key dates, Adrian. 
2007, I think. Right. Okay. Um, so I've got 10, 10 years. So it's been going for 13 years. Yep. So it's not like it's a newbie uh, um, company in the market. And I don't understand it, uh, apart from the hype. The earnings growth over the last uh, uh, three years, they've gone from 12 cent, 12 and a half cents down to 10 and a half, up to 17, and the trailing 12 months, 17 cents. Like, big deal. Yep. I mean, that's not growth. Yeah. It's, it's very modest growth. There's nothing yeah. exciting, yeah. nothing that would generate uh, the kind of PE and the hype that the company has. Right. Um, so, and then if you look at the 10 years, the growth, it's not a big growth story. Uh, the share price used to be 10 years ago was $182. Right. And then it dropped down to $1.18 in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and so it's been absolutely all over the shop. So it's been, a, uh, you know, obviously a speculation point of view. Yeah. A lot of people have been trading this thing. Yeah, as Scott um, was saying, got hot. With the, yeah, with yeah. The well, it, it, from yeah. from uh, from our point of view, uh, uh, it doesn't. Uh, it passes most filters apart from stability and the return at the moment. Right. So the returns showing um, about three percent per year at the current price, which is just too high. Okay, and I don't All know right. much about the business. Okay, let's. Uh, Trevor wants a view on uh, Mark Event Hospitality and Entertainment. This is uh, they're in hotels, resorts, event cinemas. Of course, this is the. A company that owns them. It's in entertainment, hotel and resorts, entertainment, technology and property and investment. So a lot yeah. of those have been hit by COVID. Absolutely. Um, so they have been, um, uh, they have been um, uh, hit in a big way. Yes. You know, with the hospitals, uh, hotels being closed down, like yeah, Threadbow, no. for instance. I know, yeah. I actually know one of the directors, he was telling me that the Threadbow was open, you know, for, yeah. the, for the ski season, but they had, you know, massively limited, limited numbers. So yes. it wasn't about making money. It was just getting some some income to help defray uh, yeah. fixed costs and so on. Yep. So yep. it's been pretty hard time for them and cinemas have been shut. So yep. uh, their whole business has been hammered. And the earnings went from uh, 81 cents in 2017 down to 61 in 2018. That's pre-COVID. Yep. And then their last reported earnings were 11 cents. And they've got 121% debt to equity. So they're quite, you know, they've got quite, heavy, yep. uh, quite a heavy debt burden. And the more important one though, is now that the share price has come down, which means the market cap's come down, yeah. their debt to market cap is 64%. Now what yeah. that means is that's a big number. Right. So from the bank's point of view, uh, banks really pay attention to debt to market cap because yeah. it means that if you have to raise money uh, to pay them back or yeah. whatever, you know, how much room is there yep. you know, yep. to do that? Yep. And yep. usually anything over 40% is a no-no ah. for the banks. So I have okay. no idea what their covenants say yep. or anything. So I have zero, zero uh, 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 visibility on any of that, yep. but that is a very high debt ratio from a bank's perspective. Okay. So a lot of quality assets. Uh, historically, um, um, it, it, it's done uh, well. I want to say it's historically done well. I put it on the right company, seeing I'm on Hub at the moment. Yep. EBT. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, uh, where's the data? Oh, yep. I got EBT. I was in the wrong place. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at the, on, over, over the over 10 years, the uh, earnings were uh, 40 cent, 48 cents in 2012 and 60 cents in 2019. So modest growth. Right. And then in that period, they've done lots of acquisitions. Right. So they've okay. taken on debt and, yep. you know, they haven't, some may have been accretive, some might not, but it's, okay. it's pretty mediocre. Scott? I like Event as a business, because it's been really well run for a very long period of time. Mm. It's in a really tough space. If you're in if you're in tourism, if you're in hotels, you're in movie theaters, that's a that's a really tough place to be. Now, I'm I'm loath to write them off because they've done a really good job of repurposing assets. Um, of course, Event Cinema is the, the brand behind the company, the company behind the brand, uh, but also the Origins chain, the QT range or chain of hotels, I should say. In the past, they've done things like turn a, a movie cinema into a hotel. 
um, to try and utilize that asset in, in a better way. That's smart and it's a really good idea. Tourism will come back slowly. I'm actually pretty sanguine on the future of cinemas though, I have to say. I was more positive pre-COVID. I think we know that more and more businesses uh, or uh, movie studios are, are going streaming first. Yeah. And frankly, this has given them the excuse to do that by saying, well, you can't go to the cinema, so we'll whack it on Stan, we'll whack it on Netflix, we'll whack it on, uh, you know, to, take your pick. Um, it, it's just one of those one of those approaches that um, has been hastened by this. And I have to say, moving forward, the chance that B and C grade movies are, are released mm. on cinema screens before streaming, really, really low. The big yeah. action adventure, the, the Star Wars, the, the, you know, the big teen flick kind of action flicks, they'll always be movies because... Kids want to go out. They want to sit on the big screen, the sound, the sights, all that good stuff. That'll keep happening. But the the, the sheer growth, or frankly, the number of, of titles will decline, I think. And that probably means a long-term steady decline in attendances for those movie cinemas. In fact, it's already happening, but this yeah. just accelerates that change. So I can't go to event at this price. I think at, I'd love to buy it at a cheaper price as a, as a business. Well run, um, you know, founder run effectively almost. Now the CEO is now not the founder anymore, um, but family money behind this business as close as you get for a long-term old business to a, to a founder-run business, I think, these days. So I, I, I like what it does. I think it does it as well as it can. The, the trends, the, the winds are against it, though. It's selling to a decent headwind. Cheaper price, absolutely. At this price, no. Yep. All right. They're really yeah. hoping for uh, James Bond to come, come out between now and Christmas, all these blockbusters that have been put back. Mm -hmm. um, Scott, uh, sorry? I was just going to add to that. There was a, uh, one of my son's best friends is a producer at Universal Studios. Right. And, um, they released, what, going exactly what Scott said, they released a couple of major uh, uh, titles straight into the streaming right. market, yeah. but made more money than they would have got if they went through the theatres. Oh, wow. That's scary. Oh. You know, so in other words, it used to be, the sheer assumption yeah, yeah. was, well, we'll take that money, then we'll take this money, yeah. and you go down the, the line. The better business model is yeah, a so they actually worked out the, uh, the, made, the paid views they got online far outweighed it. Wow. Yeah, and that's not a, that's a very ominous sign. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, for, for uh, cinemas. Uh, Scott, our uh, final stock is Molus, uh, the investment bank that was um, uh, chair or, or MD is Andrew Pridham, the uh, the chairman of the Sydney Swans. So I know him quite well. When it when it first listed, I thought, oh, is this a, a baby Macquarie Bank in the making? But um, alas, no. <laughs> <laughs> not not yet at least although it kind of wants to be so yeah, yeah. I, look this is one of those businesses that you look at and go what really is it i, I mean you can the, the best you can do is financial services because it literally is an yeah. investment banking it's asset management yeah. it <clears throat> manages money for clients it very much deals. is one of those coming yeah right and i think that's uh, you know in, in the macquarie mold i think there's nothing wrong with that particularly if you're good at it and i think that's the yeah. that's the challenge for models to continue to prove that it is the business it wants to be and that, that its shareholders want it to be because Macquarie's made money from doing whatever it takes. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a terrible way. I mean, they've, yeah. they've literally changed model almost entirely two or three times its history to kind of follow the, the trade winds, right? You know, when, when money was made by managing assents, Sydney Airport, we talked about at the top of the show, was Macquarie Airports back in the day. Macquarie yeah, took yeah. its That's pound right. of flesh yeah. and fees, right? So it, it's changed now. That's commodity trading and it's in asset management and green investment. Um, Molus has a chance to do something similar. And I, I've got to say, it's one of those businesses where I tend to, I mean, again, with fund managers, they're good and bad. You tend to give these businesses longer rope, or I do at least, because you've got people who are seriously incentivized to do really, really well. Mm. You know, the reason I've never, ever bet against Macquarie, I've not always recommended it, but I've never bet against it because they've got the smartest people they can find trying to make money for themselves in Macquarie. That's a yeah. really, really potent combination, right? When it's that much direct incentive, yeah. 
you know you're on a, a decent you know decent probability of success. So with models, I, I, I wouldn't ever recommend against it for, for that same reason. And so far, the company doing its best. In fact, the last lot of falls, yes, they're falls because the value of their assets have fallen, the business transactions have fallen, absolutely. And yet you kind of wonder, well, hang on, when we get back to normal, isn't this the sort of business where this temporary headwind we're sailing into is actually a really good time to buy shares? So I, I'm probably I'm probably leaning towards a buyer, Koshi, only because you know you back the heuristics, right? As, as Charlie Munger said, never think about incentives. Uh, sorry, never say, never think about anything else when you should be thinking about incentives instead. And if you align okay. those incentives and the quality of the people, I think Molster is a pretty good chance to outperform from here. Okay, Mark. Yeah, I think, uh, the, the Charlie quote was uh, that, show me the result and I'll show you the incentives, you know, yep. so, <laughs> so I, I agree with that, exactly, that, that rationale is uh, correct. Um, they've only got three years history, so it's not enough for us to, we need right. at least four years to have enough data to be intelligent about it, but they haven't got the model right yet, because if you look at the, no. um, uh, their earnings, they've been dropping you know, from the first year, return on equity went 15, 13, 7. You know, so they all they may well turn this into something really good when we come out of Corona, but at the moment, uh, they're on a 35 PE, which is very high for a negative growth rate, because that's yep. what the, the EPS growth rate's negative. Uh, the other problem is they've also got 71% debt to equity, and that, so they're carrying quite a lot of debt. Now, obviously, they've got some assets in their managing that uh, Scott was talking about, yep. um, because if, if you were relating it to a fund manager and so on, they're capital light businesses. Yep. So um, uh, Molus is obviously not capital light. So, yep. but you know, they may end up doing well, but there wouldn't be any rationale from our point of view to buy it based on their, their past performance. Okay, all right, that's our, our 10 stocks. Let's just uh, recap the last five. Beat your no from both uh, Mark and Scott. Uh, Resimac, a no from Mark. A high risk, yes, from, uh, from Scott. Hub24, a no from Mark, a yes from uh, Scott. Event, hospitality and entertainment, a no. Uh, Molus, a yes from Scott. A no from Mark. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, really appreciate your time. Thank you, mate. Um, Thanks, Goshi. Thanks, Mark. Just quickly, that um, baseball behind you <laughs> yes. has fascinated yes. me. Ne- next to the Coca-Cola ball. Is that something That's special? It's uh, not, not uh, unfortunately not signed, but one I bought back from Washington, mate. It's a Washington, uh, Washington Nationals oh. baseball. There you uh, go. A company's headquartered there in the US, so that's my adopted baseball oh. team, hence the, hence the baseball yeah, in the background. There you go. I always like Zoom now because you can see everyone's bookshelf on their reading. It's an insight into their character. Uh, Mark Morlan from Team Invest, always great to have you aboard. Thank you very much. Jerusalem. All right, that's it for our show today. Don't forget, if you uh, want to suggest any stocks, uh, email the call at osbiz.com.au or through Twitter using the um, at osbiztv Twitter handle. Don't forget, if you want to see the calls portfolio, uh, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, Don't forget ANZ uh, Chief Executive Shane Elliott um, is joining us at 3.20 this afternoon, Eastern Daylight Time on AusBiz to talk about the lenders' full year results. You don't want to miss that. Coming up the other side of the break, it is the Startup Daily Show. Enjoy the rest of it. 